Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. All right. Welcome back, everyone. Back again with Conversations with Z and Vin. And Z, today we're talking about a conversation that you had with my mom. And I've actually had this conversation with her in the past as well. It's interesting because I look at my mom. She's just such a compassionate, warm person. But sometimes she's got these hardline views. And she said to you, Z, when I look at the different people in my life, I realize that I can't help anyone. I want to be able to help people, but the reality is that I can't help people, and the only people that we can help are ourselves. And she's had this conversation with me in the past as well, sometimes in relation to me and my sisters, like you want to get involved and you want to straighten your kids out and stop them from making stupid decisions and doing all the dumb things that we've done from childhood to adult life. But you can't do it. You try, and number one, the whole reason that you're getting into this is probably driven by ego. So there's uh, some sense that a person should be living a certain way or conforming to your idea of what's a good life, what's a good set of values. That might conflict with reality uh, or their reality. Uh, So it's not necessarily a place of honesty uh, that, that we come from when we want to help others. It's more... We want to impose our views on the rest of the world. And in doing that, we're not attuned to the needs of the other person. We're not attuned to the nuances of the situation. Even if we are, and even if we've got all of this compassion and patience, there's the question of whether the other person wants our help. Are they willing to listen? Are we engaging the right way? And where I've come out in this conversation with her when I've talked to her in the past is that you can help in limited situations. So there are times you can help. Those times are usually when someone is coming and asking for your help. So when they're willing to receive and where you don't have any agenda, you're not trying to force something on them. You're just responding to a request. More generally, as we've been talking, Z, I think you're maybe of a an even more extreme point of view, uh, which is that we do things entirely for ourselves. So even when we're out there trying to help other people, trying to be the hero, whatever the motivation is, uh, trying to ease someone else's pain, it's because ultimately it comes back and it has some benefit for us. So either we get the recognition or we get some sense of satisfaction or it's part of a healing process. And that's something that you went through back in the day in the wake of the tsunami. Uh, You were out in Sri Lanka uh, doing some work and that really eased a lot of the pain that you were going through at the time. So this whole idea that we can help other people or that we should help other people, particularly when we don't have our own shit together, uh, when we're blinded by our own ego, our own agenda, we're not willing to really open ourselves up and understand the broader context of the situation. We only see a limited slice uh, of a situation and we quickly come to a conclusion. That's not helping. Uh, That's forcing our agenda down someone's throat. And when we do that, it's either a waste of time, 
or if we're too aggressive, we push the other person apart, or if we step back from the individual and we think about the geopolitical stage, when we go in and we intervene and we got our best intentions at heart, or we think we do, uh, if we don't understand someone else's culture, we come in and we basically screw up whatever life they're living. Uh, or we think we're helping and we convince, excuse me, we convince ourselves that we're helping, uh, but we're really following our own agenda and it, it just leads to disaster. We see this over and over again in foreign policy, uh, where historically different countries have had a history of going in. I mean, the most extreme example would be colonialism, uh, where you've got nations which are going in and taking over other nations and convincing themselves that they're doing it for the benefit of the savages. So yeah, we're really, we're, we are really, uh, what's the right word? We're selfless, we're doing God's work, we're coming, we're spreading the gospel, we're bringing civilization to these poor people. Uh, meanwhile, we're robbing them blind and we're turning their society upside down. And then once the country has no resources that we care about, we leave, and we leave the place in a total state of disarray. So that's one extreme, but even without that extreme, you can think about the same phenomenon when we're dealing either with other people, other cultures, other groups. So if you think about that as a baseline, I don't know if I would agree with the statement that we can't help other people at all. Uh, but I do like that test that we can help when, number one, we don't have any agenda. And number two, someone is looking for our help, so they're willing to receive it. Uh, and then perhaps we can impart whatever wisdom uh, we've accumulated or we can just sit there, we can listen, we can provide some emotional support. We can give up ourselves. You know, in a sense, maybe that's really what the help is. What can we give to the other person to improve their situation? And that can be time, that can be compassion, uh, that can be perspective. Uh, but if we're clouded by our own bias, by our own ego, there's really not that much that we can give. And if we haven't mastered ourselves, if we don't have a certain basic level of awareness, it becomes very hard to provide anything that's useful. Uh, again, we might think we're acting in someone else's best interest, but we're really just acting in our own best interest. So let's talk about this for a minute, because I feel like if we stick with this principle, it changes the way that we interact with other people, and it changes it for the better. And a lot of times when we talk about working on ourselves or stepping back and going internally and really trying to lead by example or trying to be the best version of ourselves that we can, sometimes the reaction is, oh, God, you're so, self you're so selfish, you're so self-indulgent. Don't you care about all of these problems that are going on in the outside world? Don't you care about anything greater than yourself? And my observation has been that, number one, if we don't invest in ourselves, we don't have anything to give the outside world. So we need to create something to give. Uh, some knowledge, some perspective, some peace of mind. And two, as a general principle, for all the talk of being able to help other people or help other nations, the vast, vast majority of the time, we end up making things worse. At least that's what I've observed. Um, you know, again, I, I take a look at uh, foreign policy, either the colonial policy or more recently U.S. foreign policy. It's almost like every time we've gone into a country and tried to make things better, you know, we've just left it in a state of disarray. So my baseline is very different than conventional advice. It's more in line with how my mom thinks about it. Let's assume that we can't help anyone. Let's assume that there's nothing we can do for other people. And if that's the case, the whole question becomes, how can we work on ourselves? 
improve ourselves. And by doing that, maybe we can be that example for someone, or maybe we create the capacity to give when the conditions are right and when someone actually is in need and they're actually soliciting something from us. Uh, I feel like if we went that route, not only would we mentally be more clear, uh, we wouldn't spend all of our time and attention getting wrapped up in why people are doing things and why they're not doing things. Uh, so we would have a certain clarity. We would have a certain presence that we don't currently have. Uh, we would avoid disastrous situations where we go in and we make things worse. And we would save our energy for the time where we can meet that threshold, uh, where we don't have the agenda, where people are looking for our help. And in those moments, we can go in and maybe we can actually do something that's productive. So th that's how I think about it, Z. Uh, but y you're the one who had a similar conversation with my mom. Specifics were a little bit different. I just want to hear your thoughts, get your perspective on this topic. Sure, Vin. And as I'm listening to you and, and reminding ourselves of our mission, we want to stimulate people's thinking process. Um, nobody owns the truth. No one is a true expert on all things. <clears throat> we can share our experiences and our perspective. And in that shared perspective, we can hopefully uh, broaden the horizon and views of, of those who have opted out or trying to opt out so that we can navigate this world a little better during our short stay here. Also, just thinking about the fact that we have a shared planet. We share this planet. Um, today, uh, the recent news, of course, is issues in Ukraine. And one of the single reasons that the U.S. is not doing anything is because they are a nuclear power. The detente deterrent of nuclear threat. The threat of blowing up the world or making the world uninhabitable is the only reason that the heavy-handed foreign policy isn't being exacted upon in, in Eastern Europe as it had been in other places. And also, I think, through the, the ethnic from the sense of ethnic familiarity is preventing it from going the way it would go. So they don't do a Qaddafi or a Saddam over on Putin is because he has strength, which is a sad commentary on the world. It's a very sad commentary that we don't have the tools of communication, negotiation, and mutual admiration and respect that would make us truly civilized. Um, so with that being said, I would say the, the conversation with your mom makes me think of something that, that I was taught years ago, and I've said it a few times. For those of you who follow, you'll hear me repeat myself. A lighthouse saves more people than the Coast Guards ever will. The lighthouse never leaves its foundation on the rocky shores. It's just a light. It's just a beacon. And it lets you know that if you come near here, you are likely to not make it. You will damage your ship. You will sink. This is a rocky, treacherous area. So all that lighthouse has to do is be a beacon for those who have their eyes up and they're observing their journey. They have their eyes on the ride. They say, okay, there's a lighthouse. Make sure you steer clear so you don't go into treacherous waters. As where the Coast Guards show up at the worst possible time after you've made a bunch of mistakes, after you find yourselves too far out 
in, into a bad situation, then they need to rally up a tremendous amount of energy and resources to come out and attempt to save a life. And that lighthouse does nothing but give you an example. It's an example. It's an idea. It's a choice. So when I think about how you help people and, and the conversation with your mother, is that whenever we help people, as we say it, we're actually helping ourselves. And if we sit in the quiet of our heart and really be honest, and we think about causes, issues, things that are dear to us, it's because we are familiar or we feel a connection or kinship to those that we are offering aid to. And by helping your kin, you feel good. And if they're not your kin, you, under the same circumstances, you offer nothing because it doesn't reward you. So whatever you do for another person, whatever help or aid you offer another person, in the quiet and the truth of the, of the heart, in that dark, warm place of the heart, you get a benefit from that thing you call help, almost as much, if not more so, than the person you're helping. And it's a good thing. It's a good thing, but I would like us to be true about it. It makes me feel good to uplift my kin. Who are my kin? Those that I'm kinder to, that I can relate to, that I have love for, or I have admiration for. If I see that a situation where there's a person that is not kin going through the same thing, it, it, it does nothing for me. Not only that, it would also reveal I may even have contempt, hatred, and disdain for those who I watch go through the same situation, but I feel nothing for them. So by doing this, we can be honest with ourselves. It's not to judge and to punish or to offer some false moral metric, but to be really honest about our human makeup. We have not evolved past the point where we can manage more than 150 people within our immediate communal concept. You ask, who are those people? And each one of those people know maybe 150 people, and it goes, it spreads around the world. But the more that we isolate that group, the more of a village we become, the more of a cult we become, the less we benefit from helping. So we help those in our cult. It benefits us directly. And let's say there are people who are far away. We might see them on TV or something like that and say, hey, those are, those are my people. And we want to run and help them. But someone else going through the same thing is not even worth the effort to look up to see what's going on because we don't relate to them. For those of us who are really working on developing ourselves, we have a gland in our head, the, the pileal gland, that deals with empathy and higher functions of the brain. And it's, one of, it's, it's, it's a very small piece of the brain, a very tiny piece of the brain, but it can grow and grow as you expand your consciousness and your ability to relate to other people. And then from that growth, it creates newer neural pathways through the prefrontal cortex that allows you to be more intelligent. Again, intelligence is measured on a few different metrics, but for general and comprehensive intelligence, cultivating the pileal gland helps with that. So that is why very brilliant people oftentimes are large-hearted when it comes to the world. Uh, you think about Einstein and his view of the world, very uh, smart guy, as people would agree, but he had a wonderful view of humanity. He was very, not only was he 
um, not uh, an ethnocentric person or racist, he was anti-racist. Many of his meetings that, that, that were obscured were simply with indigenous people, uh, marginalized groups, and he loved sitting and talking to scientists from those groups, and he said that was one of the most stimulating things that he ever did. And his intelligence craved the stimulation and connection with other human beings. So not only did he have a high IQ, but he had a high EQ. And that's why I really enjoy the writings and studying about Alfred Einstein. I, it's somebody that I admire. And there are many other greats like that. And what did they teach us? That they were able to expand their consciousness and their intellect through open-heartedness, and then they started to connect. What we witness in recent times is the disease of humanity. And I said to you earlier, uh, Vin, uh, this whole thing has kind of sickened me when I see, again, when I say that, it's, it's, it's not as dramatic as it sounds. It's just that I, I don't like a lot of people, but I tend to love humanity. And in that love, I, I tend to feel and see and I can easily draw into my heart what people are going through. When I see the elderly, I see, first I tend to see my grandparents that I love very much. When I see children, I tend to see my own childhood and, and my children first. Then if I, 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 when I meet people, I, I find commonality in a lot of people until they tell me otherwise. In many of the African cultures, there aren't words that really mean stranger. There aren't words that separate you from the rest of nature and humanity. Many African languages and many Aboriginal and indigenous languages are like that because they tend to worship the earth and they understand we share this planet. We share this place. When I hear contemporary media you hear about the branding of people as friend or foe. And for a long time, there was this whole thing, this anti or pro-Putin, right? American politicians were pro and anti-Putin. And if you listen to what Putin says, you have to ask yourself, is it really a lie? Were there neo-Nazis in Ukraine? Yes, there were according to history, according to history, according to known recorded history, recent history. That doesn't make him a wonderful person, but if a dog brings you the truth, it's not a different truth, it's the truth. You may not like the messenger, but it's the message that's important. But we struggle with that because we want to side with our side. We want our kin to be okay. And we become the enemy we despise. We, we become the devil for our attachment to this false idea of kinship. Yes, you may have certain things in common with family members, people from your selected group or tribe, but what we have most in common 
good or bad, is that we share this earth. When I heard the news guy talk about how uncivilized people of color were, of course I took that personal. I love what I am, I am what I am, as Popeye would say, and that's all that I am. And I'm okay with me, but I know that there are many who are not okay with me, not because they know me, not because they've spent time with me, but because they were imprinted with the idea that I was the other or the enemy. And then it becomes a conflict because I have those who know me, those who may even like, adore, love me, respect me, but they also have one foot in the reality of what they were imprinted with. So it's a, it's, it's a very um, fragile relationship. It's a scary relationship. And so when you hear this, you're like, wow. This newspaper people are saying that I'm a savage. And there is no history of my people blowing up the world. There's no history of my people creating global warming or burning up forests. There's no history of my people polluting water, carpet bombing, gratuitous wars for entertainment and minor conquests. What is your term? What, is, what, what do you define as being civilized? That's how it hit me when I heard that. When they saw the signs on the Polish border that said no blacks, which meant anybody that wasn't obviously a certain type of white person. And I know Polish people. We have Polish people here. That really made me sick. It just made me sick. And what I would, what I would hope that those people would speak up to their families and say, this isn't cool. Because that's what I do with my family. If they have issues with somebody that they don't know, and they've associated with that some group that they have little understanding of, I call them on that. I call them on that because, you know, we share the world. But I know that I can't change anybody's mind. There is nothing that I can do that will change your mind, just like there's nothing we could do to help anybody. You change your mind because it benefits you to change. And that immature, unevolved, selfish part of humanity, we change when there's a benefit to us to change. Now, when you trigger that higher intelligence, if you know that it benefits you to not be rigid in your thinking, and it will improve your consciousness and your intellect, then you develop an appetite for growth and change. I'm not talking about flip-flop, but just try to, try to look at things from different perspectives. Try to put yourself in the position of another. Try to look at the causality of things. Why are things this way? And in doing that, you will immediately find that it relieves you of a tremendous amount of stress and the, the flock, fight, flight phenomena in the brain when you feel set upon. You'll find yourself able to pull yourself away from the branding of otherness. Well, that's an enemy. That's this. That's that. You'll see a sign that says, uh, 
help the poor, so-and-so help, and you don't go in, in and that. You know that when you see these signs, help this cause or that cause, they're, they're looking for a way to tug at you, to make you feel that the, you're, these are one of your people that need your help. And if you help them, you will improve the quality of your people. You'll make your tribe stronger. That's what it all appeals to. Be it St. Jude's Children's Hospital, uh, Red Cross Drives, or there's a big sign on the freeway now, Stand by Ukraine. Hmm. Let me see, will I stand by Ukraine, okay? It was one time a Nazi stronghold. Nazis hate people like me. And I see that they're abusing the students uh, who, by the way, paid tuition to go to their country to study because they couldn't afford schools in the West. And uh, Cuba's in crisis, so they wanted to better their lives. So they went there to study medicine and engineering. That's what they went there for. But because they were others, and people had contempt for them because they don't know them. They committed no crime. They were, they were students. And you want them dead. You want them dead because they look like me. And you don't even know me. And they look like people I know. I befriended. They look to me like family members. So when I first see them suffering because they're my human relatives. I wanted to mitigate their suffering, but now that I found out that they hate me, their enemy becomes my friend. So when you think about helping people, you know you're helping yourself. For if I wanted to help, it's because it feels good to me, but this doesn't feel good. Now, if a statesman, a spokesman, a representative would say, we're going to correct this. We're going to do right by everybody who's in danger. We're going to do our best to remedy this situation. Then they would be my friend and I would want to help. And others like me would want to help. Right now, the embassies are filled with so-called conscripts that want to help. I know some. So large groups of right-wing extremists gun toters who have just been looking to kill somebody, even their citizens, are now traveling to Ukraine to help. So if these people who this week wanted to kill me are now over there wanting to kill over there under the guise of helping, hmm, who are they helping? Why are they doing it? They're helping themselves. They're helping themselves to live out homicidal fantasies. They're homicidal, erotic need to hurt another human being. I don't want to help them. That doesn't make me feel good. But all of us out there need to think about when we help anybody. I like to help people. It feels good to me, to the ability and limit that I can. I love sharing with people because it makes me feel good. And I believe it gives me a reward, as the Veda said, a siddhi an extraordinary gift from God. The more I do, the more I get. And in return, the people that I support and help, help me out. And hopefully they're happy to do that. And I grow and our community grows. Our whole community that we have 
of, by the way, people from everywhere on earth are my kin because of the work that I do. Truly my kin. And so everybody that puts in a little bit or a lot, or whatever, they get it right back because it feels so damn good to help. And when people ask me what I do, I, I say, well, I help to mitigate human suffering and I try to make it as clear as possible. I have a wellness center. We do integrative health and wellness using Eastern and Western modalities to come up with solutions and strategies so people can live well. And in part of that formula is that we've developed a wonderful community of people. And this word diversity, I don't like because I don't think anybody here is that different except in how we are labeled because we all tend to share and think the same way. That are our kin. These are our kin. Um, so when you help them, you're helping your family. You're helping yourself. When I speak to you and your family, Vin, and it is never inconvenient because when I feel like I can do something, it gives me purpose. It's like a mother nursing and caring for her children. She gets a great sense of purpose and duty. Or you work with an organization and you're trying to share and move an idea. You're actually doing as much for yourself as you are that organization or that group. So let us be honest with ourselves. Um, shed this kind of faux nobility and heroism that we think it's because of us. So go out there and help all you want, help all you want, you'd like, whatever it is, but just be honest with yourself. Relieve yourself of that weight and that burden of ego and say, I did this because it makes me feel good. And when that person receives your aid, your comfort, your help, and they say, my God, thank you. That's, that's a beautiful reward. That's your humanity on display. That's stimulating that pileal gland. And if they don't say anything in the quiet of your heart, it does the same thing. It's like an anonymous gift giver. They do that because it feels good. You know, I saw a need. I saw a vacuum. I saw misfortune and I changed it. I did something. I saw a person in need and, and, it, and then when you don't do it and you feel bad, it's the same thing because you wanted to offer yourself. You wanted that purpose. We were going, um, the little one's birthday was this weekend and we took them to a, a thing called Monster Jam where they get to see these trucks fly up in the air and all this kind of stuff. On the way down on the opposite side of the road, there was a horrific car accident. The car side of the car was torn off. There was a woman uh, sitting bloody uh, on the airbags of the car with one of her legs partially amputated. And the cars were just sitting and looking, just sitting and looking. And it, it was, oh God, I, it, I, I, I wanted to help. I, yet the reality of it, it's LA. It's a horrible place, it's crowded. It's vicious. We're going in one direction with 10,000 cars. Traffic is backed up and you could see across the freeway going the opposite direction, the suffering. And you felt, I felt for her. I, I, I started thinking, here I am with my family. 
going to this, that could have been me. That's the first thing. And I want to make sure everybody is safe. Then I thought of her family. And what would it be like if she was my kin and I got that call? That she's fighting for her life on the side of a freeway, a, a stranger's gawk and glare. So even in that sadness, my humanity was elevated. I felt it. I felt her family. Then I saw the ambulance coming the other way, working its way through traffic, and just hoped that she would be okay. I found myself in situations where I could offer service and aid. And there's something, the, the lift, the, the spirit lift you get out of that is, is celestial. It's really, truly celestial. And you crave that, that, that injection of that celestial humanity. It's a beautiful thing. And then you learn what it feels like. And you, you can never un, unfeel that. Sometimes here with everybody here, we, I try to make it a point to help, to offer. Do you need this? Do you need that? Supplements, this and that. And I don't see it as something where a person is, is, is what is the word, um, generous. I see it as perpetuating my kinship and the goodness of my family. And it's double-sided. It has that, that, that it's like the scimitar in Islam. It has a, it's a two-sided blade because it's a quirky relationship too because when people become kin, I told Kaylin, hey, you're looking a little chubby. I got to get on your case. And then I told her boyfriend, I say, I check on Kaylin. She's getting a little chubby. So please make sure she, she, she's taken care of. And um, that's the other side of it because it opens your heart. It really, you feel, I want her to be healthy. I want her to be okay. That's for me. I don't want to find somebody new to work at the front desk. And all. It's, it's for me. I'm doing that for me. She may get some collateral benefit, but I'm not helping her. I'm helping me. I need her to be happy and healthy to help me. So I give her formulas, I've experimented, I've got a certain herb I'm giving her to see if that's worth. So we all do that. Your mom was right, Vin, you can't help anybody. Just the way your mom speaks makes it sound rough. But I get it, because I love being helpful. But yet, in, with the clarity of my own heart's ardor and warmth, it's because of me. I, I feel good. I leave every day feeling good. I start my morning. I work with people. Their health is better. Yeah, you could say I help them, but you know what? I got just as much, if not more, out of it. I got something to do in this world. I'm impotent. Important. Isn't it? That's an old joke. That's, a, that's an old joke. Why did the black man wear a tuxedo to the proctologist? He said if he's going to be impotent, he wants to look impotent. Yeah, the, the vasectomy, not, not the proctologist. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Okay, you, you, you just blew my jokes. You're the stand-up guy. I'm not, so excuse us. But that's it, Vin. What do you think? Well, hearing you talk, it's interesting because I feel like a lot of these themes are fitting together. I've been reading that book that we talked about last time, the discussion between Oprah and the neuroscientist slash therapist and the part I was at today, uh, they were talking about the power of connection. Mm 
and how you look at all of the things that are ailing us today, the anxiety, the depression, the trauma that children go through. Uh, they were talking about how when children aren't connected, there's that failure to thrive, which we've talked about. And if you don't get a certain amount of touch, it can literally kill the kid uh, just by not having that that basic human connection. And I'm considering that as you're talking because so much of what you're saying is about connection and, and it's about nuance. I mean, when you drop the need to impose your will on someone else, which if we're being honest, that to me is what most people mean when they say, I'm going to help. It's, I know what's best for you. I'm going to come in. I'm going to be the hero. I'm going to sort you out of whatever shit that you're in. But the problem with that is that you have no appreciation for the person's humanity. It's all about you. It's all about what you want to do, how you look. Uh, there's no concern for what is actually needed, what's required, what the subtleties are of the situation, what the background is. Everyone's got different backstories. And I think about what you've done, Z, through Dharma and just the way that you work with people. It's like the first time we sat down. I think I came to you because I wanted to know some more about yoga. I started some meditation on my own. And then I started practicing yoga and I'd picked it up from a book. And so I was doing different things and I wanted to make sure that I was doing this correctly. So I came in and I had my agenda and I expected that you'd be able to to take a look at what I was doing and give me some advice on whether I'm doing the, the asanas correctly or I'm not, uh, what, what I need to do to, uh, to make sure uh, that I'm not going to injure myself. But we didn't go there at all. I mean, it was more, okay, I mean, first, uh, you sized me up. So there was all of this processing in the background before we even started talking. And then it was, okay, tell me about what you're feeling, about what you're going through, about what's happening in your life. And that's why, in my mind, the work that you've done is so powerful. And you turn some people off, so some people just aren't up for it. But the ones who stick around, it's transformative. I mean, it's not just about health, it's about life. Uh, because once you sort out whatever the problems are that you're going through, that frees up your body, it frees up your mind, it frees up your creative ability, you start to thrive. You go from a state of disease to a state of function that impacts every part of your life. And it's transformative, uh, which is why people are so loyal to Dharma. And there's so much goodwill that you've created. But if I look at what that requires, it, one, it's interesting because you talk about how it's really a desire on your part to help uh, because it benefits you. So you've got that honesty and that transparency. If you have that transparency, you know that it's not about ego. It's not about pushing your agenda. It's about the the perspectives you get from working with different people. Uh, it's about the joy that you feel when you're able uh, to help them engineer their way through their problems. It's the goodwill that you develop. It's uh, it's coming into a room when you haven't seen people for 30 years and they're still talking about the impact that you had and whether people, whether the world at large knows about this on social media or they don't, it, it doesn't matter because you know and you see it in their faces. And that's a reward. So one, it's starting with a an honest appraisal of what you're trying to do and what you're going to get out of it. And by doing that, it changes the entire dynamic. You know, again, it's not about some agenda. If you're trying to force your agenda on someone, you're not going to get any of those benefits. That's going to benefit something else. I mean, that's an exercise in ego. 
but if we are clear on what we want and we're aware enough to know that just stroking the ego and playing the hero isn't going to do that much, it's not going to be sustainable, then we go after the higher rewards. Uh, to do that, we need to relate to people. Uh, we need to understand the circumstances. We need to observe, see what's really going on, uh, fit different pieces of the puzzle together, uh, listen, uh, allow someone to pour out whatever they're feeling, whatever they're experiencing. And then once you digest and you have the appropriate context and you've got the right moment, then you can step in and cho choose that moment and shift them in the right direction. And I like the way you put it because you never talk about fixing someone. It's more giving them the tools to do the healing on their own. Uh, so as we talk about, we're all our own best doctors and we can heal ourselves. But sometimes we just need the awareness of how to do it. We need the tools. We need someone to shift perspective, uh, which uh, I feel like you're very good at doing. Um, so it's interesting because that's a more profound kind of help. I mean, I would say that's really the only authentic kind of help. Otherwise, again, we're just pushing what we think someone else needs onto them. And we're doing it because it pains us to see them act in a certain way or it offends our sensibilities. It's the parent who wants their child to marry a certain person and the discussion is, oh, I'm doing this for you. You don't understand. It's in your best interest. It's right for the community. No, it's not. It's right for the parent. It's right for their status. It's right because they can go and talk to their friends about it. But it's not actually right for the child. Uh, so that that's not real help. That is us thinking that we're helping or convincing ourselves that we're helping. But we're being self-serving. And by not being transparent about it, uh, we're not even really aware of what we're doing. And we never give ourselves the chance to make that connection. So I, I guess see, so much of what I hear you talk about is really forging that connection and understanding someone else's experience. And that brings us back to what we talked about at the beginning of this conversation uh, before we started the podcast, which is if you really want to help, if that's your objective, then spend time with other people. <laughs> you know, it's it's not about coming in with fire and brimstone and and beating people in a submission. It's traveling. It's understanding different cultures, different ways of life, uh, listening to stories. And once you have that, then at least you have the chance to help. Maybe you can help. Maybe you can't. But you've got the possibility of helping once you've opened yourself up. So th that's how I think about it, hearing what you're saying. Yeah, Vin, I... You inspire me when we talk, um, and and you you give me a cause for reflection. And the yogis describe this term known as moksha, which is a form of liberation from the endless cycle of, of death and rebirth, meaning growth. Basically, you're liberated to grow. And when you can say to yourself, "I am not helping anybody," but in doing the deeds that I do. And what I understand about life, I feel good about myself. And if I feel good about myself with my little spark, I have improved humanity that one increment, that one, one quadrillionth of, an, of a significant piece, which is all I can carry in this life. When I work with people, I learned long time ago that... We are our best friends and our own best enemy, our own worst enemy and our own best friend. So be your own best friend. 
and be a friend that you admire, that you adore. And also know that we are small, but we're part of something great. First, it starts at home. It starts in the quiet of your own heart when no one's looking, when nobody's around. Is it demons or is it angels? Nurture, feed the angels, starve the demons. But be honest about it. Be true to yourself if nobody else. People oftentimes say, Z is really confident. He has a lot of confidence. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. I'm okay with me. That's all it is. I don't compare myself to other people. Uh, as you know, you've gone with me and traveled for my work in the entertainment business, and I always stayed behind. Someone asked me the other day about that, and I said, my job and what I enjoy doing was helping those kids live out their dream. In doing that, I got to be a witness to fame. I was always in the spotlight, the, the edge of the spotlight, in the shadow of fame. As I saw many of them grow up and become well-known successes, I also saw many of them die very young. But my role wasn't to do what they do. That's not what I wanted to do. I love the nurturing and being a part of that that growth, that experience, that was enough for me. That was enough. I am liberated from this idea of the endless pursuit of the endless pursuit in that way. And I, I share that with everybody, and I hope they share it with me. Yeah, I have my ups and downs um, like everyone else, but I never worry about my role in this life. Did I do something? I also know that I'm still relevant in my own soul because hearing all this stuff going on in the world, it, it does bother me. It hurts me because I'm a human being. And it saddens me that you see the repeated and the endless cycle of those who are unliberated going back and forth over the same thing day after day, year after year, decade after decade. Oh, is there another conflict, another war? It will end up the same. Most people just want to get back to their loved ones. Most people, most people, just want to get to their day uneventful. But it's when we're lost, when the mind is diseased and the soul is toxic and rotting, that's when we've, we get pleasure from the suffering of others. I don't want to be that person. I get pleasure from uplifting others. I gain pleasure from the nurturing of others because the others are me. This is our world. If they decide to poison the oceans, we all suffer. If they decide to pollute the skies, those who don't care because there is no other, then our children's futures don't exist. If there's nuclear fallout, our grandchildren will suffer. We won't be here, won't bother us, we'll be in eternity. But living with that thought creates the anxiety before eternity. And anxiety is bad for you. All anxiety is bad for you because you're not here.
but part of it being a parent, it comes with a bit of anxiety. All right, Ben? Yeah, all right. Um, here, hold this, baby. Just give me one second. Yeah, it's powerful what you're saying, Z. I mean, this whole concept of moksha and this cycle, I'm just visualizing this as we're talking, this constant cycle. In Hinduism, it's talked about as a cycle of birth and rebirth. Even in our own lives, in my time on this planet, I've been around uh, maybe half my life, if I'm lucky. Even in that time, you see the same cycles play out over and over, coming from ignorance, coming from a diseased mind. Maybe it's it's blind passion. Maybe it's just following what everyone else is doing. I'm not really sure. It's kind of strange, actually. But it's just the same thing over and over and over. And maybe that's where we end this conversation, because as I'm thinking about it, it's like we've got so much evidence that we can't help people, at least not in a conventional sense. So again, let's differentiate. I mean, I don't think it's a categorical statement. I think there are times when we can help, but there are also, as we've talked about, conditions for being able to help people. And what we normally do when we talk about helping people is we do something that benefits us and the others are incidental. So the outcomes for them, it ranges from a willful ignorance of what the impact is going to be uh, to not caring at all and knowing that we're facilitating someone else's downfall, we're creating destruction, but we're doing so for our own benefit. And the cycle plays out. I mean, it plays out at an individual level where we see this cycle. Uh, I think about civil rights. I think about all of these episodes of people being brutalized by governments or brutalized by guards at the border or by police. Uh, and it's the same thing over and over. And and every single time this happens, there's discussion and there's protest and there's outrage and nothing seems to change. Uh, we see this in the foreign policy realm. Uh, where it's a constant cycle. I mean, you go back, it's like, you, you talk about karma. Uh, karma literally means cause and effect. Uh, so you do something and that creates a problem. And then you do something in response to that problem and that creates another problem. Uh, you think about our history with the Soviets and Afghanistan and how our foreign policy basically created the Taliban. And then we go in and years later, we invade Afghanistan, wage a 20-year war, which does absolutely nothing, then give the country back. Then we completely ignore suffering that's going on in that country. Right now, because international aid has stopped to Afghanistan, something like 5 million people are going to starve to death. I mean, it's a number which I can't even comprehend. It's, it's just such an enormous amount of human carnage. There are no signs that said help the starving people against them because they're dirty brown people. They never asked for this. They, a civilized country blew their country up. 
yet they're uncivilized. I just want us to think, man. I just wish we would think. I just wish we would acknowledge, I, I, I'm sorry for interrupting, I just wish we could acknowledge our biases, the way our brain is made so we can develop, so we can maybe see more than 150 people in our immediate cultural group. Maybe we could see 8 billion. Maybe we could just see a million and we would just change the, the world. Maybe just a thousand. Get to know people that aren't just like you. Hear their stories. Just hear them out. You know, when you travel the world, man, things you learn about people. I've, I've stayed in villages and, and slept on uh, bamboo uh, covers on the floor, rugs on a dirt floor in a clay. And I slept like a baby. I remember sleeping in a temple in Udaipur. And Sunil, the kid Sunil, whose father and family had been keepers of that temple for the last 13 or 1400 years. Just the look in their face, the joy, the love they offered me. I never experienced that at the Waldorf. I didn't experience that feeling when I stayed at the Waldorf Astoria. The warmth, the effort they took to make me a meal. How I felt like I had returned to my grandmother's home. That's what I felt like. On a hard-packed dirt floor, in an ancient temple, in an old city, the kindness. To that, they became family, friends, right there, loved ones. Damn it, man, we should just not try to help people. They don't do what the Australians did and help the aboriginals. Don't do what the Americans did and help the, the Native Americans. Don't do what the, the, the Navy did to help the Samoans and the people of the Bikini Atolls and the Polynesians. Don't help anymore. Don't help anybody. Just do what makes it seems right in your own heart. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like a path to get there is being able to have that dispassionate viewpoint instead of being dogmatic. When I'm visualizing these cycles that we're talking about, it feels like it's the same dogma. If you are programmed to believe that you are helping, then you ignore the evidence. You're blind to what is actually happening. You're blind to your own biases. You're blind to your lack of concern, your lack of understanding. And you keep on doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result, which I don't know if it was Einstein or who it was the, who said that that's the definition of insanity. You, you do the same thing again and again, and you expect a different outcome. But if we can cultivate that, that fluid mindset where we're not attached to a particular point of view, we can have conviction, we can have strong opinions, but we can also look for evidence to guide us in a different direction. We can maintain that open mind. So there's that exchange between being able to act from a, a place of belief, but also having the humility to recognize our limitations and our fallibility. Then we can release those programs, those ideas. And I don't think it's that hard. We, we just have to look around at the world and see whether what we're doing 
is actually helping or not. And if it's not, either at the very least we stop trying to help, as we're talking about, or we find more productive ways of helping. Uh, but but we have to be able to see to do that. That's right. That's right. So things to think about, you can't help anybody, but you can help a lot. All right? All right. Beautiful. Let's do it again next week, man. Write right, in, check you. in, everybody. Check us. Please share our podcast with people you think that will benefit from it or would enjoy the conversation or even be pissed off by what we said. Uh, check out dharmamedia.com and keep up with us. Check out, what else, Vin? What else should they check out? Uh, Dharma Health Institute on Instagram. And uh, how about the lion? Talk about the lion. Yeah, yeah, we got the spoken word project. Lion with a mic. All one word. Lion with a mic. Okay, good enough. Talk to you soon. All right. Peace. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.